Welcome to The Family Room, sponsored by Versprite, where we offer hope, encouragement, and wisdom centered on biblical truth and Catholic teaching, because God's kingdom begins at home. Now welcome your hosts, Mari, John, and Craig, right here on AM 1160, The Quest, your Atlanta Catholic Radio. Welcome to another week in the family room. This is Craig Wiesmeyer, and I'm here with my co-host, John Gordon and Mari Cleveland. Hey, guys. Hello. Hello, Craig. We have a nice guest today. We're talking about a subject that actually may be a little tough for some people because we're going to be talking about counseling. And I know a lot of people avoid it because there's a negative stigma, but I can tell you uh, Peter's going to shed some light on that for us and I think open up the uh, windows as uh, Vatican II was supposed to do and let some fresh air in on our minds on looking at that. So um, before I begin, uh, should we start with a prayer before I introduce Peter? Sure, I'd be be glad to. So in the name of the Father, Father, and the Son, and the the Holy Holy Spirit, Spirit. Amen. amen. Heavenly Father, we praise you. We praise you as the great physician, as our Abba Father, as the one who offers the Holy Spirit to be our comforter and our counselor. And so, Lord, as we talk about this topic of counseling today, we ask that you would be with us. You would um, just be there for each of us to open our hearts to what Peter shares that might help us to know what steps to take. And that also, Lord, that we always know that we can come to you for full healing and hope. Um, You are our hope, and we thank you for that. We ask for um, an extra measure of blessing over all of those who offer themselves as counselors, over all of those who accompany people on this journey that is life here, and um, for all those who are in need of counseling as well. We ask your Holy Spirit to come upon them all and give them great blessing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 The Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Amen. Great. Thank you, Mary. You're welcome. So as I said, um, we've got a great guest today, Peter Attridge, who's the Clinical Director of Holy Family Counseling Center. He's also a parishioner at Prince of Peace and a father of three lovely girls. Lovely girls. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you. How are you? Yeah. (laughs) Thank you for having me. I'm doing wonderful. Great. So there's a great introduction from Craig about all this counseling. And he said there's sort of this kind of bad vibe about it. Yeah, like a a stigma stigma sometime. (laughs) Because people will say, well, I'm in therapy. And, And that somehow means something bad. So can you share with us what's the difference between counseling and therapy? Yeah, so counseling and therapy, it's often kind of an interchanged word, but they actually do mean two different things. So when we talk about counseling, what we're really talking about is working on a very specific thing for a very limited amount of time, right? Mm -hmm. So oftentimes people come in and say, you know, I I have anxiety, you know, going to my job, right? And we're going to take that and just work on that one specific thing and it could take you know maybe just two or three sessions and we're done therapy is a little more involved it's more long term and it focuses more on um the individual and the underlying reasons why certain patterns might be reoccurring in life so for example if you were suffering from depression um you and your therapist might explore how depression impacts your relationships within your family now how maybe you um how it impacted your relationships when you were growing up and the family you lived in and how it impacts just your everyday life. So, and through therapy, we can kind of figure out the root of the problem and, and uncover that root and form different pathways to move forward. Okay, so kind of peeling the onion back a little bit more when you're in the therapy piece of it. Right, and it, so it's a little more long-term than counseling usually is. Got it. Mm, kind of okay. addressing more chronic issues that you've got. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. okay, great. Interesting. And obviously there's a lot of counselors out there, but of course in your mind, being at Holy Family Counseling, 
Is there a unique difference with a Catholic counselor or Catholic counseling mindset maybe versus secular counseling? Yeah. So with all Catholic therapists and counselors, because um, the Holy Family Counseling is we do have both. Some of us are licensed professional counselors. Some of us are licensed marriage and family therapists. And that's kind of the, the licensing distinction. But we all have the same training as secular counselors do. But what makes us different is our Catholicity. Um, I'm air quoting there because I know you guys can see it. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I love that word, Catholicity. Yeah. So our faith is a part of who we are, and it's an integral part of um, the families we grew up in. It's also part of our decision-making process as adults mm -hmm. and how we operate in our relationships now. So as Catholics, living our faith is not always the easiest thing that we do. Um, there's a lot that comes with it. And so Catholic therapists really um, – we call we come from all different backgrounds, right? We we some of us grew up in really conservative households, some of us grew up in more liberal households, but we love our Catholic faith so much so we come together and through that we can kind of tailor our psychotherapy to the faith and moral values of the Catholic Church. Um so at Holy Family Counseling Center and at other counseling centers that are Catholic, um we provide therapy from a Catholic Christian perspective for couples, individuals, um, families, and we always place the dignity of the person, the individual, um, and the marriage and family at the center of what we're doing. Hmm. Can I clarify one thing? Sure. Because you're Holy Family Counseling Center, mm -hmm. so you do have therapy and counseling under the same roof. We do, yeah. So Holy Family Counseling Center has been around since 2009. Um, I did not choose the name, but um, it kind of fits. <laughs> and, and our patron is and By the way, it fits the family room here, Holy Family, so yeah. just stay with it. But um, our patron um, that we kind of cling to at Holy Family Counseling Center is Our Lady of Good Counsel, mm. so it just it fits. It. Perfect. That totally makes sense. So you said, obviously, you work with people, all, all different types of people. You work with within people, within their marriages. You work in, with families and that type of thing. I think one of the things that oftentimes I hear people say is, I don't, you know, should I, should I, should I just call, my fr call a friend on the phone? Should I just go talk about this issue with a friend? And my friend will help me walk through it. Or, mm -hmm. And maybe that's um, a little easier, a little easier to swallow, right? Because of the whole connotation stigma sometimes. But what? How will we know when it's time to pick up the phone and call somebody at Holy Family Counseling? Friends are great. Family is great to talk to. Um, but there's always a biased perspective there, mm, right? Yeah. So, you know, as a, as a therapist, I can't work with anybody that I am friends with or family with because I'm, my own biases are going to come in. Right? Yeah, your perception of what's going on in their lives. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, like if I'm going to – if. I'm not ever going to do this, but if I were like counsel my brother, well, I remember all the things he did to me when I was eight years old. And I'm pretty sure that's going to come out later on. Do you process. give penance after counseling? Because uh, there's yeah. an option. Like, oh, good. There's a fist fight going on in Peter's office. Right. So um, I think first off, the big thing is that thinking that you need counseling or therapy is nothing to be ashamed of. Um, I mean, obviously, I'm biased as a therapist myself, but I've been in therapy. Um, and I think that everybody at some point in time should be in therapy because it's nice to go and be able to talk to someone who is not associated with your systems. Right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They, yeah. they have a completely objective view of you um, and they can kind of help you sort through things from a non-emotional perspective. So therapy offers therapy and counseling offer. Um, it's a really it's a confidential environment. You know, everything that we talk about with our clients stays within the room. There are exceptions. and We can talk about those later on. Um, but everyone's coping with something. Sometimes it's really serious. Sometimes it's really not. So therapy offers you a chance to say, okay, here's what I'm dealing with. And I don't know if this is normal. Mm, I don't know yeah. if I should be feeling yeah. this, right? Yeah. A chance to kind of air everything out and see, okay, yeah, other people experience this too. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we've often spoken about one of the greatest tools of the devil is to make you believe you're the only one in the world mm-hmm. that has the challenges and problems that you have, right? right. And to have somebody qualified validate that. Not that that's the case, but there's others is probably good. Yeah, so you're not in isolation. Yeah. yeah. And it, I, I like to draw business analogies to things. And, and in business, we'll hire a consultant, Right. Mm-hmm. And you bring that consultant in and you do all your dirty laundry with that. All your like, like this profit doesn't like this. This leadership isn't is broken. And it's almost like there's nothing bad. You know, it's, it's I guess, maybe even prestigious to bring a consultant in and work on a particular project. It's just funny when in your own personal life, when you really need that consultant, you're like, oh, I'm not yeah. sure that I want to have a consultant right, right. or a counselor. Um, because there's that link to your you're helping to problem solve. Yeah, right? it's a problem. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Just a quick side side question. Um, so, if you're counseling somebody, it's the question that Mari asks, like, when do you you know when do you know it's time to do that? What if you're like in that scenario and and there, and there's other people involved? So it's a family counseling situation, and you're talking to one, either a spouse or a sibling, and the other part of the equation may not be interested in participating, but it's important. Mm-hmm. Well, how do you handle that? So what we always encourage is you get the entire system in place, right? So it's very easy to look at ourselves individually and say, you know, I'm, I'm running through life doing my own thing and nothing else matters. But everything we do affects the people around us. It can affect our, our husband and wives. It affects our children. It affects our coworkers. So there are cases where, um, you know, someone will come in and they'll have an issue and it does involve a family member. And we really encourage the client to talk to that family member and say, hey, why don't you come into a session with me? Mm. Maybe it's going to be one session. Maybe it'll be more. But just see what we're talking about and, and let's bounce these things off each other. Um, you can do a lot of work with a family system, even with a marriage, with just one person in the room, right? Because mm-hmm. as we start to change our behaviors, other people's behaviors right. adapt mm-hmm. to it. Right. Mm-hmm. But it is really ideal, especially in cases where um, there might be like a bunch of family trauma, to get the entire family in together and kind of work with it as we go. Okay. Yeah. So there seems to be a trend also. So Mari's question about, hey, when do you know when not? It, either people suddenly know better or there, I think statistically there's like a 7 to 10% increase in people who are seeking counseling. What do you think is driving that? So in the last year is really where that 7 to 10% increase okay. has come in. And we, we do know that it is a artifact of the pandemic itself. Okay. Right? So I think for... If you look back over the last 10 years, the, the stigma that we talked about with counseling has really started to drop off a little bit. A lot more people, um, you'll even see it on social media, are posting about, oh, you know, I'm in counseling, I'm in therapy, um, my therapist said this. Um, I've been the subject of a few Facebook posts that I don't know why, but they're, they're out there. <laughs> <laughs> I take no credit for anything That's that was said. <laughs> no, it's um, a good thing because, okay, I've got to stop for just a second to say something sure. about that. Because to me, one of the best tools and you just mentioned it, John, that the evil one has is to keep us, keep That's, things in the dark, right? Mm-hmm. And if we, he, he wants you to stay hidden. He wants that pain to stay hidden. He wants that feeling of isolation to stay hidden. And it's kind of like the Band-Aid, right? You put the Band-Aid over something. You don't let the air or the light get to it. If you open it up and let that wound 
let that wound come out to the light of Christ, right? right. Let God's light touch it. That's when the healing starts that's, happening, right? Yeah. 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 And uh, that's a great analogy because sometimes what happens is you may have experienced a wound and it's healed up, but it's still infected. Yeah. So sometimes in therapy, we have to reopen those wounds, mm-hmm. clean them out a little bit, and then let them reheal. Mm-hmm. And that's a really important aspect of it. And it sounds like because you're a Catholic therapy center, you allow Jesus to come in and help with that process. We do. So, um, we have clients of all faiths at Holy Family. Um, I mean, literally all, all the faiths that there are probably, we have them at Holy Family Counseling Center. Uh-huh. But as a Catholic agency, we, you know, we're very aware of our Catholicity, mm-hmm. um, but we never force it upon our clients. Because okay. sometimes when you're experiencing um, traumas or you're in an abusive relationship, you might be mad at God. Mm, yeah. You know, you might yeah. not understand what the plan is because we don't always know what the plan is. So as clients come in, we kind of meet them where they're at. We mm-hmm. never we never push our faith on people, mm-hmm. but we allow them to bring it in when they're ready. Mm-hmm. And I think what uh, many of the therapists would agree with is that as we kind of progress through therapy, people start to bring God into the sessions, mm-hmm. right? Because they, they start to find that love again and the understanding. That's great. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. Key aspect, right? Bringing love back into these situations. Yeah. So speaking of that, let's talk about marriage a little bit because um, we've had other guests on that we've talked about marriage in particular, and you talk about the arguments that tend to come up in marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's like I'm mad at you. You didn't, you know, do this or do that, and you find out that that's really not what the argument's all about. You know, <laughs> very much so. And we're all stubborn. You know, we all think you know this is what I'm mad about. And I don't know if you're doing marriage counseling specifically yourself, but from your perspective and in, in being the uh, clinical director, how do you get couples to uncover that key or core issue or hurt or whatever that may be causing these little minor things to escalate? So I'm going to reveal a little bit about therapy with me in this, but um, I like to see people argue. Not a bad argument. Well, okay. Right? Hey, Mari, that's a dumb, isn't it? We can help. Tell me how you're Should we role play that here for you? <laughs> but when you see people in a, in a disagreement, in an argument, you actually get to see the patterns of how they argue. Right? Uh-huh. So one question that I ask my clients a lot in the middle of, of a disagreement is, what are we not talking about right now? Right. Sometimes the argument isn't about the argument you're having. Right. It Mm -hmm. has to do with something else. And oftentimes it may not even have to do with the person that you're arguing with. Right. So another question I ask clients Mm. when they're when they're heated and they're they're feeling it and the emotions of it, like what emotions are you feeling? Right. Is it anger? Anger can be a secondary emotion. So what's underneath the anger? Mm -hmm. Is there fear there? Is there shame there? Like. Why do we feel this emotional eruption coming? Mm-hmm. Another question I ask is, how old do you feel? Oh, right? wow. And this is one of my favorite questions. And John has given me the look that a lot of clients <laughs> give me. Like, oh, I know this one, though, because I've been doing, doing okay, go, go, go. No, go for it. No, 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 no because, <laughs> because I've, I've done some work with um, spiritual healing mm-hmm. and prayer. Mm-hmm. And it goes back to where was the first time you experienced that situation that made you feel that way, That's right? It. Yeah. Yeah. Mari's way too excited about that one. That was a good one. Where'd you go? I, like but, it. So I felt like Porsche. <laughs> if you do this, you will often be surprised that you're having an argument in the here and now with someone. And then you're like, well, how old do I feel right now? And all of a sudden you're like, oh, I feel eight years old. Mm. And it can remind you of an argument you had with your mom or your dad. Like maybe 
a big argument is like husbands don't take out the trash when they're supposed to. Well, oftentimes, I know at least in my case, you know, it's because my mom was always hounding me to take the trash out. Mm-hmm. And even at 42 years old, I'm still like, well, I don't want to take the trash out right now. So I'm not going to. <laughs> we should have an argument in our house about turning off the lights. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Well, you can argue about anything, right? But, uh, it, but it is interesting. That's interesting. Because I've never, never heard it presented. How old do you feel now? You know, because my wife says I act 14 most of the time. So <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where we're going to go with that one. (laughs) If you are just tuning in, you are joining us here in the family room, and we are here with our guest, um, Peter Atridge, who is the clinical director of um, Holy Family Counseling. And so it's very fascinating to, yeah, learn and hear what all, what you're doing with this. So did we, did we fully answer that last question? Uh, Yeah, I think so. And we got that age piece in there that like, that's, that was pretty, that's pretty amazing. Because yeah. I also think now, if I think back, so like don't I, even go, because John's no. going to have a kind of argument with somebody who's going to go, so how old do you feel No, no, right I'm not going to do that. I'm not qualified <laughs> to do that. But I think about, like, if I'm in an argument, and, like, believe it or not, in a, I, I can get rational, too, in an argument, mm-hmm. and, and you say something, and you're like, that was, like, about a third-grade comment. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Right? right. That's uh, interesting. So it goes yeah. back to that. You're, you're like, that sounded like third grade. <laughs> but even the, the rationality in an argument, right, that's a, a communication style, right? So people can become um, what Virginia Satir, who is a wonderful therapist, called um, the computers, right? So when you get into an argument, there's a person who's just, it's logic the entire mm, way. Yeah. They're never going to deviate from the logic, and they can be completely unemotional and still be involved in the argument. So... That's really okay. So now we've learned that maybe part of our issue is that we both turn into eight year olds during our arguments. Okay, so that's part of it. So that whole communication, not understanding where each other is coming from, can lie at the foundation of a lot of the challenges. What kind of things have you found work effectively to help couples to begin or improve communication skills? You said you like to watch people argue, and I'm assuming that that that. Is part therapy. of it. <laughs> no, but there's probably a skill. True. I mean, I think there's probably a skill to arguing. So I'm, it's just I'm just curious to think, you know. So what kind of things can can um, couples do to start to improve that communication skill and improve arguing, maybe arguing well and letting that lead to healthier things? Yeah. So I think the number one thing is no matter how much someone loves you, no matter how long you've been with them, there is no one that I've met yet that is a mind reader. Yeah. So if you're in an argument or if you're trying to communicate and you're not become you're not upfront with what you're thinking and feeling, mm-hmm. the other person's not going to know. Mm-hmm. And we may have an expectation like, oh, I have an expectation that, you know, um, my kids are going to pick up after themselves, you know, when the when the house is a mess. But if I don't express that expectation, mm-hmm. I'm not doing the right thing. Right. So we, we have a saying um, expectations are premeditated resentments. If I don't let you know what my expectations are, I'm giving myself a reason to be mad at you. Mm. And I think this happens a lot in relationships where we're like, oh, yeah, they should know what I'm thinking. So I'm not going to say it. But the person might not know. Yeah. And then they get angry and then there's a fight that resolves out or comes out of it. And it's also really unfair, right? Because sometimes, especially women will say, well, if you loved me enough, you would know. Mm -hmm. And that's not fair. That's not fair. That's not fair. Yeah. Was it... um... One of our first guests um, spoke about that. Her Melissa? Hus- Melissa said mm-hmm. um, her husband, she responded like abruptly. And, and I'm not saying some, something that she hasn't shared publicly, but she had some kind of like abrupt response. 
and and she was kind of like with her husband how how can you not know that i'm upset and he's, he's like well you look normal to me so you're gonna have to get a sign that says now i'm upset or now i'm not yeah right? she's talking about right? the signs yeah. that she could, we yeah, were laughing about that right yeah. now. here's where i'm feeling yeah what's my feeling yeah and so listeners just so you know we've got all of our past shows on podcast so you can go back and find melissa and you will have It'll peter on podcast mm-hmm. too so after you listen to this show and you think oh my gosh everybody needs to hear what peter shared you can go to our podcast and our website and find the podcast of peter as well you know funny thing about the the signs with the different expressions on them um often i think that i should get some made so like when i have couples in front of me and someone like slides in a jab i can just hold up a sign and say hey that was a jab <laughs> <laughs> like, kind like of a score. yellow card yeah. <laughs> that's, that's great that's perfect so is it okay to argue of course you can't leave it there because people are raised, people are raised with if you argue you're disrespectful, mm. or if you argue you don't love me enough, or whatever. Mm-hmm. I grew up in an Irish German family where arguing was technically a, it was a sport. everyday conversation, <laughs> and, and like, we could watch you argue. It was a spectator sport. I mean, seriously, it was like <laughs> yeah, right here and now. I'm not saying that's right, but I mean, kind of talk about that a little bit because there are people that think arguments don't happen between people that really respect and love each other yeah so i think for anyone who um if you grew up in the atlanta area and you know moby in the morning often on the fridays he would have couples call in with their anniversaries and people call in and be like we've been married 73 years and never had a fight and i'm like how does that even happen i They lived in two different countries. That seems really shallow, honestly. It sounds like it would be a shallow relationship if you never fought. Yeah. We all have disagreements. They're completely normal. I think for um, at least what I hear a lot of is that people will say, well, I never saw my parents fight because it was done behind closed doors. So you don't see Mm. arguments modeled for you, right? Mm. And and Mm -hmm. as children, we're kind of, we're not blank slates, but we do get a lot from modeling behaviors. So if your children don't see you argue, they don't know how to argue in a relationship. If they don't see you make up afterwards, they don't know how to make up afterwards. Right? Yeah. So a lot of what people experience is like, well, we don't see arguments. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Or even now, and I think especially in today's political climate, you know, if you argue with someone, you can't like them. Right. They're mm-hmm. on the opposite end of the spectrum yeah. from you. Mm-hmm. And it's just that's not how we do things anymore. Right. Yeah. Um, but it's healthy. Right. We're all going to have disagreements. We're, mm-hmm. we're individuals. We're separate. And mm-hmm. we need to figure out a way to have solid arguments. Right. Or some people were scarred because the arguments that they saw were so over the top mm-hmm. and so volatile and maybe even violent right. that, that yeah. they they totally shove it down so exactly. that they don't ever get into that situation. Yeah. yeah. So there's a good way to argue. Yeah. There's a good way to argue. Yeah. So have you seen different ways that couples have addressed or ensured optimal communication? Are there some techniques or things that you would recommend that, that we try or that we do more effectively or any stories you can share about that? Yeah, so I think there's five things that I always tell couples not to do. Not right. to do, okay. Yeah, we talked about one, which was mind reading. Okay, we're all uh, getting our pens and paper out right now. <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be in the show notes. It'll be in the show notes. <laughs> the no-nos of communication, right? Five no-nos, okay. Yeah. Um, mind reading is one of them, right? Yeah. Be clear about your expectations so that your partner knows, right? You can hash it out after the fact, but if you're not clear, then you're not doing anyone any favors. Right. Mm-hmm. The second one is dumping. Um, uh, and, and dumping is really common, right? You had a bad day at work. You get in front of your husband or wife, and you're like, we're going, mm-hmm. um, you know, mm-hmm. you have to hear everything that Joe did to me in the coffee maker. Right. <laughs> and it's unfair to like just dump without setting people up. Right. So mm-hmm. it's easy to come home and say, Hey, I've had a really rough day. Can I, can I dump on you? Mm-hmm. Right. Just ask, ask permission. permission. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's great. Third thing is um, on the flip side, when someone is talking to you, giving unsolicited advice. Well, you know what I would do in this situation 
blah, 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 blah. You've been talking to my family again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they, they called me before I got here. <laughs> and then they did on that one. <laughs> and, you know, again, when you're in the conversation with someone you're in relationship with, whether it's work or a romantic relationship, really the question is, do you want me to listen or do you mm -hmm. want me to give advice? Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. That way you know where your position is. Mm -hmm. um, criticizing, number four. So criticizing takes a lot of different forms. Um, I think probably the one that slides by the most is the sarcasm. Yeah. Right? Or the picking, right? You can always pick at someone, especially if you've been married for 15, 20 years. You, you've installed most of the buttons that you're going to press. <laughs> so you know, you know how to do it. That's a great visual. Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> John's from Home Depot, so the whole idea of like, okay, I put all these buttons in place. <laughs> yeah. We've got honest. barbed wire, now we've got buttons. Okay, this is good. This is good. going to be a device. <laughs> that, so that was four. Yeah. No, that size. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I'm counting. Okay. I'm counting the buttons. Number, number five is interrupting. <laughs> you guys set that up, didn't you? <laughs> it was classic. And this is just the classic, you know, someone's trying to tell you some things, and you're like, oh, hey, what about that concert we're going to on Friday? Or, oh, don't want to take the kids to basketball tonight? It's just not really paying attention to what's being said. Because one of the big things is making sure that who we are talking to feels like they're being listened to, right? Um, if you get into the neurobiology of, of communication, um, oxytocin is the bonding hormone, right? Mm -hmm. um, and one way that all humans get oxytocin is when we feel we are being listened to, mm -hmm. it releases that bonding hormone and actually can help us be closer yeah. to people we're in relationship with. It's funny, I actually had a couple, we went, to, my wife and I went on a marriage retreat and they talked about having these, we'll call them arguments or discussions, and they actually have a card that they hold and you are not allowed to speak until your spouse hands you the card and gives you permission through that. Mm -hmm. So literally, you just sit there and listen and listen and listen. But your job, once you get the card, is then to repeat what you think they said. Mm -hmm. And then you hand them back the card. And then they have the ability to say, no, that's not what I meant. So you're literally, and again, it de-escalates everything because you're actively listening. Except mine would be, here's tape on your mouth. Don't say anything. <laughs> but I, th I think it's a great idea that you really do force each other to listen, speak back, and then yeah. kind of de-elevate, hopefully, a lot of that. I like that. Word. Is that a word, de-elevate? Yeah. Or de-escalate. De-escalate, de yeah. So um, we're about to head to break shortly. And before we go to break, um, is there anything, any st quick story you might have about something that, that where you've seen a couple really make a great advance in in their marriage relationship by communicating better yeah i also have to be careful when i tell stories just to make sure i'm de-identifying everything yes yeah, yeah confidential have, right? story um so there was um yeah here's a good one so there was there was a couple and every sunday night the wife would get extremely annoyed at her husband and he didn't know why he could never figure it out he's like he'd go back through the day i haven't said anything like we had a great day i played with the kids i cleaned up and what it was, what we eventually found out, was that she wanted the trash taken out to the street because the trash came on Monday morning after dinner on Sundays. Because what he would do is he would take it out, but sometimes he would wake up late in the morning and the trash would get missed. Wasn't often. So all she wanted was take the trash out after dinner. But she never said it to him. <laughs> so for months, literally months, he was like, why is she mad at me every Sunday night? I don't understand this. Like, maybe we need to switch churches. What's going on? <laughs> I couldn't figure it out. He was, he was really desperate for anything. But it, it came out that, you know, in this conversation, she had never spoken that expectation and was just getting angrier and angrier every week. And once she said it to him, he was like, oh, yeah, I'll do that. I can solve that. And 
That's they great. solved it and moved on and got rid of one of their biggest fights, actually. That's awesome. We'll come right back to the family room, sponsored by Versprite, with Mari, John, and Craig right after this. In today's world, cybersecurity is critical for your business. Award-winning Versprite provides solutions to protect your company from hackers. For protection now, see Versprite.com. That's V-E-R-Sprite.com. The Quest thanks Versprite for their support. Here at The Quest, we often hear how our programs touch hearts and change lives. Now more than ever, people need to hear the truth and beauty of the Catholic faith. As a 100% listener-supported station, The Quest relies on monthly donations to stay on the air. Please consider making a monthly donation to The Quest and help us continue to provide inspiring Catholic programming. Monthly donors are the lifeblood of the station. Visit thequestatlanta.com to donate. Thank you for your support. Hi, this is AJ with The Quest. Did you know that we are on a mission to invite, inform, and inspire listeners like you? We want you to embrace your journey and take one step closer to God by not only listening, but engaging with us. In fact, we could use your help with making this vision a reality. I ask you to prayerfully consider joining us as a missionary to help with volunteer tasks at our studio in Roswell, Georgia. If you feel called to help and would like to learn more, please send us an email at info Does your parish, charitable organization, or ministry have an upcoming event that you'd like to promote? Advertise it on AM 1160, the Quest Community Calendar. It's easy and there's never a fee. Just visit thequestatlanta.com, click on events, and submit your activity or event. Enhance the success of your community outreach event. Take advantage of the Quest Atlanta's complimentary community calendar and gain more exposure to the Metro Faith community. Submit your event at thequestatlanta.com today. St. Joseph was a man of few words. In fact, not a single word of his was recorded in Scripture. But the Father of Jesus spoke abundantly in his silence, and he certainly gave us a lot to talk about. Want to go deeper? Listen to the St. Joseph series on your Quest app and on thequestatlanta.com. This is Lisa Popchek from More to Life. Catholic Radio changes lives. It's for you, with you, every single day. Whether you're rejoicing over something and you need a community to share that with, or you're struggling with something and you need a community to support you. We're here for you every day to teach you about your faith and to help you live it. This is your home, and we're always here for you. Thanks to our friends at EWTN, our programming is provided free of charge. But this station has other expenses that must be paid to keep the doors open and the lights on. Support of your local Catholic radio station helps keep shows like More to Life available in your area. No matter the amount, your gift works to make a difference for you, for others, and for the future of Catholic radio. Please prayerfully consider making a gift right now. We'll talk to you soon. To donate, log on to thequestatlanta.com. Welcome back to The Family Room with Mari, John, and Craig, sponsored by Versprite on AM 1160, The Quest. We're talking with Peter Etridge from the Holy Family Counseling Center. And Peter, one of the things we talked about, because we are The Family Room, Mm -hmm. we do like to put you all on the spot and ask you your favorite family room memory, childhood, adulthood, whatever it is. Whatever it is, huh? I am a cradle Catholic. I have five sisters and a brother. Um, And one thing we did growing up was... Multiple times a week, my mom would be like, all right, it's time to say the rosary. So the entire family would sit in the family room and say the rosary. And I absolutely hated it. 
<laughs> I was a young eight-year-old, nine-year-old, just did not want to say the rosary. Answer the because it was never scheduled for me, right? It was just like, oh, oh, we're doing this now. Everybody drop what you're doing. We're coming to say the rosary. I should probably talk to my mom about that now and see why she didn't schedule it. How old are you feeling right now? <laughs> Peter's in therapy because of mom's rosary. Yeah, eight or nine years old. <laughs> but through my life, like I've, I've, I have a very deep love for Our Lady and for the rosary. Right. And so I say it often. Um, 2020 was kind of a hard year in the Attridge household. And one thing I um, did for myself is when my kids were in bed, I would say the rosary downstairs in our family room. Mm. And over time, my daughters um, would get up to come get water. You know, kids never want to go to sleep. But now it's become a thing that when they're with me, they know that around 10 o'clock, I'm in the family room saying a rosary. And one by one, they come down. And we all sit huddled close together That's and say awesome. the rosary. That's so beautiful. So it was a bad memory to begin with, but it's a good memory See, now. God redeems. Christ redeems all things. I was just That's thinking right. the same thing. God redeems. That's awesome. What yeah. a beautiful visual. So I, I have a question, Peter, as I just listened to what you said. It seems to me that if you think in terms of like your no-nos mm -hmm. and genders, it feels possible that a gender might over-index in one no-no versus another. I'm thinking that I give a lot of unsolicited <laughs> advice. And these were the five no-nos you shared with us yes, right before the yes. break. Right. Okay. So I think if we are going to completely overgeneralize the genders, yes. Um, yes. we let's do that. <laughs> completely overgeneralize. Um, we can say that you know men are more prone to want to fix things, yeah. right? We we don't like having problems around. We want to be the the Mister Fix It, yeah. and so yeah, unsolicited advice is a huge one that we give out, right? Um, well, well, let me fix this. I'm just going to fix this. Do what I do, and it's going to be okay, right? That's yeah. kind of the the situation. For women, I can I make a guess? I have a suggestion. Yeah. Since I'm the only woman in the room, I have a suggestion. I'm going to guess we're really bad with number one. Yes. That we expect you to read our minds. No kidding. That's where I was going to go. I know. Shocking, I will tell right? you. Here's my unsolicited advice. Don't make me read your mind. <laughs> well, here's the thing that I found very helpful as a new wife was that it wasn't. It had nothing to do with whether my husband loved me or not. Didn't love me. My always says. My husband always says we are very simple creatures. Just tell us what you want. <laughs> tell us what you need, and we'll do it. And I thought that seemed too bossy. I mean, it sounded that just seemed too. I don't know. You don't have to do it. You just need to tell us. <laughs> right. Well, it just seemed like, wow, I should just tell you. Mm -hmm. And I found it's totally true. My husband is amazing. If I just tell him, you know, when you do this, it really bothers me. He is the most amazing person I've ever met at changing behavior just based on me giving him feedback like that. Yeah. It's incredible. And it's, yeah. That's really He's great. much better at accepting feedback than I am. So you have to ask him if um, his parents kind of were more constructive in their criticism when he was younger. Oh. And so he takes it a little bit easier. Oh, right? interesting. It's like we often see kids who were in karate or some form of martial arts are more apt to be able to take feedback because they receive it so much during martial arts. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. Huh. Yeah. I'm like a basketball career where you get yelled at all the time. Exactly. <laughs> Told you were a stiff a hundred times a day. But I thought I was pretty good. Um, let's transition a little bit since it is the family room, if you don't mind, Peter. Sure. Let's speak to those that have children because... Children are a blessing from God, but they also can be a complication sometimes, mm -hmm. especially from the standpoint of, you know, I know look at Kelly and I have dealt with it. You know, sometimes you prioritize your kids unintentionally right. over your spouse. Mm -hmm. So what do you do or how do you help people look at those natural challenges and then kind of identify them and the avoid them or change behavior? It's a great question. So we follow the model of Holy Family Counseling of... Um, you know, God comes first, 
then your spouse, then your kids, and then the mm-hmm. world. Right. right. That's and we have um, boards in all of our therapy offices, and that's one of the, the major things that everyone sees. So, I mean, if God's at the center of your marriage and the center of your family, it makes it a lot easier, right, to kind of understand where your where your priorities are supposed to be. But the world is the world, and that doesn't always happen. Right. One thing that I ask couples to do, every couple actually I see does this in some form or another, I ask that every night of the week they have 20 minutes just to each other. Mm-hmm. No phones, no tablets, no TVs, sitting with each other face-to-face and have a 20-minute conversation about their day, right? It gives them a chance to kind of catch up with each other and see where they're at. Mm-hmm. And depending on how communication is going, I'll structure these conversations to include, you know, how is work? Um, how are the kids? What's tomorrow look like? How's our intimacy? Things like that, right? So there are, pe- there are, there are subjects that people just don't talk about, right? Mm-hmm. We all get into our ruts of communication. Right. How's your day? It's fine. Kids got to do this tomorrow. And we just stop after that, right? Mm-hmm. So we, I kind of add in these questions about intimacy, about what's the fun thing we're going to do this weekend, mm-hmm. right? I often tell couples, you know, at the beginning of the year, I want you to take, if possible, right, four weekends away and then one long vacation, the long vacation can be the entire family, but the four weekends, I really want it to be the couple, mm-hmm. right? Just even if it's an overnight trip to Atlanta where you get a hotel, yeah. that's fine. Yeah. But if it's just the two of you to kind of maintain that relationship, mm-hmm. the kids are going to be okay, right? But you have to be okay for the kids to really be okay. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm thinking about that. I'm thinking about how many of my friends right now are in the, are going into the empty nester phase, mm-hmm. and they don't know how to do that. Right. Because they didn't take those four weekends away. They didn't never take that time to be just the two of them away together. And so now they're looking at each other going, huh, what do I do with you now? Yeah. Yeah. And we all, we do, we focus on our kids so much mm-hmm. that we kind of lose track of each other in the process. Yeah. Yeah. It's easy. It's tying another show back in. So show notes for the show we did with Dr. Bob Schutz. Yes. And he has a great book, Be Devoted. Mm-hmm. And um, in that, there's there's little exercises about and one of them is is that peter's like talking about how how you do with emotional intimacy and, and physical intimacy and, and time together it's amazing that all that stuff just ties together it's like there's no weird stuff here it's all very very foundational yeah so one of the things you've, you've referenced several times is you know you're you are a catholic counseling service you do have that poster on the wall that shows God first, right? Mm -hmm. So what is the advantage of having a Catholic counselor for couples? Yeah, so I think Catholic counselors and therapists, we have a unique worldview, right? Because Mm -hmm. we have the secular training. Um, I'm a trauma therapist, so I'm, Mm -hmm. you know, I've received tons of EMDR training, which is Mm -hmm. a specific type of trauma therapy. That that eye movement training? Eye movement movement desensitization and reprocessing. Mm -hmm. Um, Actually, the founder, Francine Shapiro, is like, I'd probably take off the R at the end of it, but, (laughs) or no, I'm sorry. Just take off the eye movement. Just be desensitization reprocessing. Okay. But, um, so we have the secular training, but also I'm a cradle Catholic. Mm-hmm. I grew up in Stone Mountain. Um, Corpus Christi is my parish growing up. So I have this Catholic worldview that I can bring into therapy. And that's really important for people. Um, we kind of recognize and address the tension of like these opposing forces of life, right? Um, we live in a material world, right? And, and the material world has all these pressures on us. Yet we kind of know that they're is this other world, right? We're created for eternity, mm-hmm. right? And our, our body yeah. and souls matter. Yeah. And we have to kind of seek the good in life, yet face the external evils that are constantly bombarding mm-hmm. us. And we also have to kind of battle our own internal disorders as well, or, or like our own in, internal perceptions and those distortions that come with them, right? Mm-hmm. But we can do that through a good prayer life. You know, we can do that through going through therapy and uncovering these roots and, and allowing God's healing in, 
Right. And, and taking that idea of combining our suffering with Christ's suffering and helping people kind of through the therapy process in that way. That's really the only way to process suffering. I mean, I've been listening to a lot of, you know, COVID bad for this, COVID's bad for that. But at the end of the day, God's allowing it to bring a lot of good to people, get them on our knees again. And it is the struggles. It is working through those. But to your point, though, without a, in our particular case, a Catholic worldview, you know, we're going to miss it because we're suffering on our own. We can't figure it out. You can't answer the question. But if you do it in conjunction with, okay, here's what Christ went through. God loves me. He gets it. And this is a part of God's will. It's a lot easier. It doesn't mean it doesn't mean it doesn't hurt any less. Right. It doesn't mean that there's not going to be issues long term potentially, I guess. But what it does mean is, you know, you kind of set back and look at, okay, God, you have my best interest at heart. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it doesn't get necessarily a solution. It doesn't necessarily blow out of proportion. Right. Mm -hmm. But but that begs another. That's a question in my mind though, because. You know, Peter, you were careful to say that you have folks from a lot of different denominations mm -hmm. and a lot of different scenarios. And so you just can't, like, start firing scripture at them. How do you gently or how do you effectively bring God into that conversation and, and, and prayer and all those things that Craig just talked about? Yeah. So uh, the great thing about Holy, the Holy Family Counseling Center is um, everybody knows that we're Catholic. It's on our website. You know, <laughs> we, we're in all the no parishes. Um, so there are no surprises there. You know, as we talked earlier about that 7 to 10% coming into therapy for the first time, um, a lot of people just want to go to therapy where it's closest to their house, right? It's easy at the end of the day. I can okay. just, I'm right there, right? So as people come in, um, I always ask them, you know, I say, you know, are you are you Catholic? You know, a part of being a Catholic therapist in, in this diocese is that even though we have one point something million Catholics, it's a very small diocese. Right. Mm -hmm. So I always have to say, hey, if I see you out, I'm not going to say hi to you. It's not that I don't like you, <laughs> but it's just that, you know, confidentiality applies everywhere I go. If you want to come say hi to me, great. I'll say hi back, but I'm not initiating it. Right. So it's kind of through those processes. Um, but also, you know, sometimes people come in, they be like, well, I'm not Catholic. And I'm like, hey, that's OK. We don't have to bring it in if you don't want to. Um, you know, we can talk about God in the way you see him or in, in your faith tradition. Um, but oftentimes I also find that people kind of ask me questions about, well, what would the Catholic Church say about this? Interesting. Yeah, um, interesting. So I'm, I'm no theologian, um, so I always have to like preface that with my clients. <laughs> but you can get some really good conversations going, and, and I think people really start to um, take that interior view of themselves that sometimes they don't with a secular therapist. So they'll, that maybe they'll almost take you there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah that's pretty cool. Yeah, okay. yeah that's cool. Uh -huh. And because you know that God's present in the midst of this, then he's going to touch their heart in whatever way needs to happen, right? Yeah. yeah. So uh, for me personally, I think it's um, Pope John the Twenty Third had a prayer at night where he would say, um, "God, this is your church. I'm going to sleep." <laughs> so awesome. I've kind of adapted that, you know, because I, I pray for my clients. I pray for all of our clients at night, and I'm like, you know what? These are your children. I'm going to go to bed now. So, ah, uh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. I'm try that, Lord. This is your office. I'm going to bed now. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, but we were talking about fam. Think about that within the context of the family, though. Because I think we've brought it up, other people have talked about it. You know, we get so angsty over our kids, over what may or may not be happening. And I mentioned on another show, my mother, God told him, whose, whose son is he really? Uh, somebody else was on the show and said, God said the exact same thing. And the reality is, the beauty of what you said is, we are all God's children. He's in charge of us. 
And we need to quit trying to control each other and, frankly, sometimes ourselves and just kind of go, God, I'm really giving this to you. Yeah. I'm going to surrender this whole thing to you because I'm really screwing it up. Right. Well, and a lot of the things that we're seeing with people these days, especially, is your teens. Those are the ones you really need to surrender and give up. So what kind of um, trends are you seeing happening to family counseling where teens are involved? What's going on with teens these days? So teenagers are under... um, a lot of pressure. Yeah. You can say attack. We get it in here. <laughs> or, or attack, too. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, and I think it's different than even, you know, when we were teenagers, yeah. um, that Agreed. there's just so much more complications to what's going on, right? Mm-hmm. So you have um, the social pressures of just being a teenager, as it is. You know, I mean, I hated middle school. That's always there, I think, for a lot of teenagers. Um, there's the pressure to succeed, right? Yeah. So a lot of times school now is just based on what's your performance, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Talk about, you know, basketball earlier. You know, a lot of kids play in sports because they think they're going to get scholarships and thinks they're going to go pro. So there's all this pressure that they have around them. So that's that's a lot of it. And social media, um, in my opinion, ha- has not been helpful no. um, because I think it really brings out this like comparative element yep. mm-hmm. that in a time in your life where you're already like Super really hard on yourself. Now you're comparing yourself to everyone else, especially as well. for girls. Yes. So those are some of the, the trends you're seeing. Yeah, so, definitely. We, we talk all the time about anxiety mm-hmm. and it, it, there's hardly a time that uh, young parents are younger than, than Barb and I, but Barb and me, but um, talk about their kids. Invariably anxiety comes up either a friend or their own children. Mm-hmm. Talk about like, is it our sense that that's more or where does that how does that fit in the trends that you're seeing and and maybe even a little bit of why you think that could be the case yeah so i mean anxiety is always there and there are healthy levels of anxiety right so when we talk about any any kind of mental disorder i think that we what we really focus on is that there are healthy levels of everything but sometimes they can get out of balance okay and that's where we start to see the issues coming up right so um off the top of my head, I think one in three teens, so about 30% of teens between the ages of 13 and 18 are going to experience some sort of anxiety disorder between those five years. Um, and oftentimes they can last longer, right? So anxiety is not being in the present, right? We're, we're constantly kind of lost in our heads about what are the possibilities that could happen, right? And we do this to protect ourselves. So um, the parasympathetic, parasympathetic nervous system, right? Fight, flight, freeze. Everybody usually knows about that. And anxiety is like, okay, if this is to happen, what would I do? But the problem is that when we get lost in our head about the possibilities, the what ifs are never ending. And we can get stuck in those loops of, oh, what if, or what if this, or what if that? And we forget to kind of reground ourselves. And that's what teens are experiencing. Technology doesn't help this because what technology does is it kind of isolates us away from people, right? I know Mari's Mm -hmm. brought up isolation a couple times. Mm -hmm. And technology does that in the sense that, you know, the way TikTok is designed, the way um, Instagram Reels and YouTube now, you can you can flick through a 30-second video for hours at a time and, and no one even knows it, mm-hmm. right? You look down, you look up, and it's midnight, right? Yeah. That happened to me a couple of nights ago. Um, <laughs> I wasn't watching TikTok, but <laughs> I, I was going through some, some stuff on YouTube, some boundaries videos that my, uh, Father Mike Schmitz did. And I'm like, oh, this is great. And then next thing I know, it's I'm like, oh, past my bedtime yeah and when families we see this too because a lot of times families will sit together in the same room they can all be in the family room 
all in their electronics, mm-hmm. but they're not together. Yeah. 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 And then it feels like when you say the what ifs are never ending, it feels like technology is another just unbelievable source of what ifs or boy, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. And, and now I got that to add to the cycle, right? Yep. I just heard somebody talking about the amount of information that gets thrown at us today compared to 20 years ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's so exponentially greater than what we had to deal with. Mm-hmm that that's going to cause enough anxiety, too, because you try to process it or keep up, and everybody's talking about this, that, and you can't quite do it. I think one of the saddest things, it's one thing to have anxiety. It's one thing to say, this really kind of gets under my skin and makes me anxious. But it's another thing when the decision becomes, I'm done and I'm out. You know, suicide in teens is rising like crazy. Frankly, suicide with men Mm -hmm. is rising. Young Mm -hmm. men, yeah. And with all due respect, Suicide among the people that are gender confused is rising. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that um, in relation to how do we as parents deal with, I mean, really bringing back hope into the in, into these situations? Mm-hmm. And how do we create an environment where there's hope? Yeah, that's a great question, too. So I think the one thing that parents kind of need to be aware of is that we're not all knowing. One thing I really focused on now, I'm I'm working on dissertation. My dissertation is on parenting, um, particularly with fatherhood. So I'm a little biased towards this All whole right. idea. Nice. <laughs> perfect timing, right? Yeah, yeah. We like that. Yeah. yeah. But when I was growing up, you know, if I did something wrong, you know, there was never an apology if I, if my parents were wrong, right? So one thing I'm really big on with my kids is saying sorry. Yeah. You know what, Liliana, that's my my oldest. I'm like. You know, it was actually your sister that threw the thing. I'm sorry. I know I put you in the corner for five minutes. But I, I go in and I say I'm sorry, right? Or if they ask me a question, I'll say, you know what? I don't know. Mm-hmm. So give me some time to figure that answer out, and I'm going to come back and ask you, right? I think as parents, we're so stuck in this idea of let's be in charge. You know, we're, we're the hierarchical head of the family. We have to know these answers. But we don't. It's okay to say, hey, you know what? I don't know, but let's find this out together. Mm-hmm. Or let's explore this question together. Right. That openness that we can have with our children actually leads to more communication. A lot of times what happens is, you know, a child might have an idea like, oh, maybe I'm um, maybe I'm not a boy. Maybe I'm not a girl. So I'm going to go online where all that information that you just mentioned, Craig, is. And they isolate themselves away from their parents and they don't communicate. Mm. And it can be, in some cases, years before they talk to their parents about it. But now years have passed. The parents are years behind in the knowledge Mm. and it just it causes more dysfunction right so really letting our kids know hey i'm here to communicate you know i'm here to be open with you and let's figure things out together is really really important and i'm just not going to lecture you and act like i have all the answers all the time exactly yeah right so like i have on my refrigerator i have a laminated um note Mm -hmm. for my daughters and it just says you know i'm bringing this to you because i want to tell you something but i'm afraid that you might not take it well Not that I'm ever overly angry with my children, but if they have something tough they want to talk to me about, they can pull it off the fridge and bring it to me. And I know to prep myself ahead of time that I might be having a tough conversation with my kids. Oh, I love that. Okay, so that's going to be in our show notes as well. I think that's an awesome. So refrigerators across Atlanta will now have (laughs) laminated notes that say that. I think that's awesome. Yeah, I think that's great. Um, Is there anything that parents and siblings can watch for in their own families? You know, you mentioned kids starting to really isolate and go online for their answers and spend a whole lot of time. You know, there are a lot of people out there grooming our kids in all kinds of different ways, right? But so that might be one red flag. Are there other red flags we should be watching for with this whole topic of anxiety and suicide and things? 
Yeah, I think um, isolation is a big one, right? So if, if your kids are usually kind of very vocal or involved in the family, all of a sudden they're spending a lot of time in their rooms, that mm-hmm. can be that can be mm-hmm. a big sign. Mm-hmm. Um, changes in eating habits or sleeping habits mm-hmm. are really big. You know, if they're usually a good eater and all of a sudden don't want to eat anything, mm-hmm. that's, that's an indicator. Um, when we talk about anxiety and depression, there are two sides of the same coin in a lot of ways, right? So sleep is something we really look at with everybody, adults and teens. But, you know, not getting enough sleep um, usually leads to an idea of like there's more anxiety around there, right? It's yeah. harder to fall asleep because your mind is racing so right. much. Yes. Yeah, I've become more aware of that one. And my kids are both away at college now, but I will routinely check in and just say, hey, what's your sleep like? What are you getting sleep-wise? And my son bought himself one of those watches that tells you how much sleep you're getting. And I'll just say, hey, so how many hours are you getting lately? Just because I know that sleep can really feed it and fuel it one way or the other if you're not getting yeah. enough sleep. Yeah. 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 Well, it's interesting, too, though, what you said, Peter, because I think we've all lost sight of concentrating on the present, mm-hmm. whether it's not you know putting our devices away or whatever, bringing our kids back to the present and saying, look, at your past, whatever happens, gone. You're not prepared for the future yet. You can come up with every scenario under the sun, but you may not be ready for it. And at the end of the day, let's just talk about what's here and now. And oh, by the way, there's a loving father. Forget about me. I'm a can be a jerk, so I get that. <laughs> but there's a guy out there, there's a, there's a father that loves you exactly where you are, how you are, whatever it is. And really, we need to be better prayerfully in exemplifying that to our kids, I think, and to each other. Because a lot of people in today's world are just like, I'm done. I'm, I'm worn out. Yeah, I'm tired. Yeah. Yeah. What yeah. I'll tell parents a lot um, is that it's not the quantity of the time that we spend with our kids. It's the quality of that time, right? Mm-hmm. Two hours playing video games with your kids, that's great, but there's not a lot of quality there, right? Because you're both, even though you're together, you're still isolated. 15 minutes of playing, you know, a card game or reading a book or just sitting and talking to them, that is important, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be two hours of deep conversation, but that 15, 20 minutes with a child, that's really what they need. Yeah. You know, and one of the things that Craig just brought up, I think it struck me because to me it really speaks to who we all are. And I think first and foremost, I know that for me personally, first and foremost, I wanted my children to know that they are the daughter and the son of a loving God who loves Mm -hmm. them so much. And Mm -hmm. he's the one who's created who they are, what they will become, what gifts they have. Is there anything else you want parents to know about what to pour into their kids that will be so meaningful in those ways? Yeah, I think the big thing is it's that that level of openness we have, right? Yeah. You know that none of us are perfect, like Craig said. You, know, mm-hmm. you, you can be a jerk sometimes. Right? <laughs> well, that's what his kids say, anyway. I don't know. <laughs> that's what John says. That's what Mari says. I've never said that. <laughs> but just to to be open, right? You know, I think oftentimes as Catholics, where we kind of have this idea of like, okay, you know, this is the this is the road we're going to take. Mm-hmm. But it's okay for that road to be a little bit wider to say, well, I don't know, or I've made these mistakes too. Mm-hmm. We're not going to, you know, send our kids off on these wild tangents by admitting like, hey, I've I've had struggles before, right? Mm-hmm. Right. I've, I've right. done things, right? Right. Obviously, all of this remains age appropriate for your kids, right? right. But just that openness is, yeah. I think, really what teenagers need right now. That transparency of yeah, yeah, yeah. because there's there's so much pressure to to comply socially right they have to look a certain way they have to act a certain way mm-hmm. and we get kind of forced into these um these rigid pathways and these ruts and if you've ever watched a western or played oregon trail you know like the more a wagon goes over a rut the deeper the rut gets right and it's harder to get out of yeah. right so if we can kind of fill those ruts in and say maybe we can go on this path a little bit too 
that's really what parents advice. really need that to focus on. Yeah. So would you be willing to close us out in prayer? We're so thankful for your wisdom and all sure. this shared with us. And if you'll just pray for our listeners as we finish up our time. Of course. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord, we thank you for bringing us all together today um, for the listeners that are listening to this show. We pray for all those people who have come to counseling um, throughout the world in this past two years of these really strange and troubling and tough times. We pray for all those that are still struggling that have not come to find your peace, your love, and that they will come to us and and find the, the help they need and unite their suffering to your suffering and to live better lives. We are thankful for all the gifts you give us. We're thankful for all the counselors and therapists, social workers that are out on the front lines helping your children every day. And we bring all of this to your lady, and your son, and the Father, Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Thank you very much, Peter. Thank you for having me. So that again is Peter Atridge, who is the Clinical Director of Holy Family Counseling. We've enjoyed having you on the show today. And listeners, we look forward to having you here again next week in the Family Room, where we offer hope, encouragement, truth, and wisdom for families. Thanks for hanging out with us in the Family Room, sponsored by Versprite. For more info, go to am1160thequest.com.